0: Okay, we about everybody about ready here to dive back into Mark? It's been a while, so got some good stuff to cover today on Mark here. So, just kind of as a way of refresher where we were last time we met, recall we talked about the parable the of the, growers, uh, the uh, growing seed and then we talked about the parable of the mustard seed. Again, the parable of the grow, growing seed was kind of the first we see the parable showing the success of Jesus and his mission. And again, that the overall message of that parable, and again, that was Mark 4, 26 through 29, is that you know the ministry of Jesus, his teaching, his preaching, it 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 brings this rule and reign of God in a way that is simple, yet is mysterious to us, right? And again, these parables were shown us about the the, the growing seed, that uh, that Jesus's word and it finally and inevitably leads to success at the proper time, right? Um, and then the parable of the mustard seed, kind of the same thing, continuing with the about the, the positive aspect and success of Jesus and his mission, and it. Uh, Again, the message was, remember, the smallest of all seeds, usually planted, which becomes the largest of all the garden's plants. And remember, the large enough for the birds to perch in its shade. So we cannot judge the final size of the kingdom of God by the initial size of the seed, the word. The word has extraordinary power and vitality, and it's going to work the way it works. So that concluded the parables. We talked about that. Then we got to move on to kind of our one of the first great stories when Jesus calming the storm, if you guys remember that, in Mark 4, 35 through 41. We went through that. And then at the end, the conclusion of that was really the, the overall message we're seeing here is really who the, the identity of Jesus is, what he can do. He can even calm these storms. And it's, you know, Jesus is truly revealing himself as a true God. And that's where we ended with chapter four. So today, what we're going to do is jump in and look. hopefully get through two stories here in chapter five and move along. But before we do that, why don't we start with the invocation in the Lord's Prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so if you guys have your Bibles in front of you, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 5. And what I'm going to try to do today is, is cover Jesus heals a man with a demon, and then uh, Jesus heals a woman and Jairus's daughter. But if we can't get through it, that's okay. So we'll start then by looking here at Jesus heals a man with a demon, verses uh, 5. So I'm going to read verses 5, 1 through 20, and then we'll come back through it. Now again, just to start here, this section now represents Jesus' fir- first move into Gentile country and his first dealing with non-Jews in Mark's gospel. So that's, this is kind of where we are now. Moving out of the area of Israel, the Jewish, now into these Gentile nations where Jesus is. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we're going to see a little bit of different stuff going on here when we read through these next two um, <coughs> sections of Mark. Okay, So beginning with 5.1, um, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out to the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbered about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And when he went away and began to proclaim it in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. All right. Good story. All right. Let's delve in it here line by line, if that's okay. As I go, if you have any questions, stop me, but I will pause. All right. Let's move back to to verse 1 there uh, in chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. So I had passed maps out before, and, and, and um, I, don't, I don't intend to do that. But So if, if what Jesus was moving, this was moving west to east on the Sea of Galilee. So if you have that map in front of you, I can show you here. He's moving over, and this is kind of the area of Capernaum. Um, but it, it's in this area, the Gerasenes. And most commentators say that this, again, it's, it's in the far lake far side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, to the east, and that this clearly is Gentile country. Okay, So this is Jesus' first foray, then outside of Israel into this area. And in this area, and this is very interesting, this is the same area that later, which we'll t- touch upon when we get to chapter 8, where uh, Jesus later feeds the 4,000. Okay, so he's moved then to the east side um, the Sea of Galilee and what happens there in verse 5-2 And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, recall we've talked about unclean spirits before um, and, and here what the, the Greek says is this is a, a man within the influence of an unclean spirit. As we first started the class, back in chapter 1, verses 23 through 27, we saw Jesus heal another man with an unclean spirit. I delved quite a bit into what that meant. Mark is intentionally using this term, unclean. This is kind of a Mark uh, motif him. Uh, As I said before, clearly we know this, unclean here, and this man is seen as demonic, of course, No argument, the devil and the demons are spiritually unclean, right? But again, Mark using this language back to John the Baptist at the very beginning when we started is this kind of this uncleanliness connected to uh, John the Baptist and his washing. So this is kind of a wordplay that Mark is using here with the unclean spirits. And as you'll see, as we get later in uh, to this, uh, Mark initially calls this man with an unclean spirit, but then he's going to say that he was possessed by a demon, a different word. And I'll address that here in a minute. So that's what we're talking about. Obviously, the same clean spirit that we looked before. It's, it's a man here who is demon-possessed. Another interesting thing about this is that when Jesus had stepped out, this man, right? It says this man came out of the tombs. So I was very fascinated. I hadn't looked at that before, but this is, when I looked into the, the commentators and then our note study notes says it too, that these tombs, what they were, were like graves, Okay where these chambers had been cut and into the rocks and into the cliffs. Um, commentators speculate that this these tombs here may have been abandoned or something or never used, and thus afforded these individuals in this area who are actually demon-possessed to live up in the mountains in these tombs. So, uh, very interesting. And if you have your Lutheran study Bible with you here, you see this. Um, on note 5-2 about the tombs, it, they write, the, uh, In this region, archaeologists have unearthed cavern tombs, which are man-made caves carved out of the rocky outcroppings. They are large enough to provide living space. So maybe others had lived out there, but we clearly know that this, this demon-possessed man was in this area and probably lived in these tombs or chambers. Okay, and that's what it says then in verses 5, 3 through 5. I'm going to read these together and then kind of. So he lived among these tombs, which he just talked about. And now this is interesting here. Look at this. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, you know, broke them off, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had strength to subdue him. Um, just kind of think of that mental picture here. I mean, it's a little strange. I mean, is it supernatural strength? I mean, we don't know, but I mean, we, I, I certainly couldn't do this, right? I don't know. Maybe, <sighs> maybe Barry could, but, I don't, but, but in any event. You know, there's some type of maybe supernatural uh, strength associated with this demon and the demon possessed. So and then no one, no human being had strength to tame him, as we see here then, too. Interesting. He was free and he roamed at will. Again, human couldn't stop him. And then uh, it says uh, that in the mountains, he says, and then verse five, we here night and day among the tombs and the mountains. Okay, so that indicates this this demon is uh, able to kind of roam about. He's in the mountains, sometimes in the tombs and the mountains. And then in verse five, this is another interesting thing. What does he do? He's crying out and cutting himself with stones So I mean we don't know why this is happening, but clearly the demon is possessing a human individual, and this is cutting, you know, this is injuring the person that the demon is possessing. Again, kind of a disturbing picture of this, right? But Mark gives us great detail on what what this, what this um, demon possessed man is doing here. So disturbing picture to a certain extent. Then verse five. Uh, Excuse me, verse 6 here. And when he saw Jesus coming from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, think of the contrasting pictures we see here, okay? I just talked about this super strength. No one can tame this guy. You know, demon possessed man crying and cut him himself. But then, what happens when he sees Jesus? He falls down before him. So who is the strong man here? Right? Jesus. Now remember we talked about the strong man before in 327. um, In the parable, the strong man. But I think that's interesting. So we talked about the strong man before. But then you look at this situation. This is again revealing who the real strong man is. we have got this demon possessed man. Soon as he sees Jesus, boom, he falls down prostrates himself, falls down right before him. What does that indicate? I mean it indicates that clearly the demon realizes who this is, right? But and my first thought on this is, well, if this demon could roam around like he he's roam in his mountain, why didn't when he sees Jesus, why didn't he just run away? I thought that was a very interesting thought. I mean, why didn't he run away? We don't know. Uh, why then is the man when he sees this man, this man is drawn to Jesus? You see, he ran to him and fell down before him. It's just kind of very interesting to kind of think about in this whole context, why this happened. Now, Dr. Linsky in his commentary does, I mean, again, I'm not saying this is an interesting note. What he says, again, this is speculation, but again, just to think about. Dr. Linsky says, it seems as though the will and power of Jesus drew the demon to his feet. The words of the demon accord with this involuntary approach to Jesus, the supreme master of the demon world, whose will and word the demons must obey. Okay, And we see this, this draw, and I think that's, we see this in, in 7 there. Not only is this demon drawn to Jesus, but then when he's there, he comes to him, falls down prostrated at his feet, he also speaks, and we see this in verse seven here. What does the demon do? He cries out in a loud voice. What have you to do with me, Jesus? Okay, that's interesting in of itself. I mean, has Jesus said anything? This man's drawn to that's the first thing. What have you to do with me, Jesus? Sure, certainly shows terror on behalf of this demon, right? But then look. Look at what he also says. Jesus, he defines Jesus. Son of the Most High God. I adjure you by God and do not torment me. Most High God, I mean, right off the bat, he knows who this is. And the Most High God... If, you'll turn, if you have your Lutheran Study Bible, and the reason I'm doing this, just to show you how much resources are in this Lutheran Study Bible. If you don't have it, I'll read it. But on page 1227, this is very cool, these little side notes that the, the Lutheran Study Bible has here. 1227. It's all the Old Testament names of God. It's really cool. You can go through there. We see... God is called Almighty, Angel of the Lord, Anointed, Father, Glory of the Lord, God, God Most High, God of Heaven, God of hosts, God of Israel. So all these different names for God. But then we see here, we get down here, it says Most High, and this is what the demon said. In the Hebrew here is Elion and this term is used four times in Genesis 14:17 through 22 and then 40 times elsewhere in Psalms and Daniel so here the demon is just quoting scripture most high god this wasn't just some made up name it's all over the old testament so this demon then comes falls down and he and he knows who this man is god okay so the demon openly here displays this maybe supernatural knowledge of who this person is. It's Jesus. It's God right there. Okay. So we see this. Now, it's strange up to this point, we've already looked in, in Mark's gospel, how many things Jesus has done. Look at all the healings we've done. Most people aren't doing this, right? Most of the Pharisees and the scribes think that Jesus is actually Beelzebub. So, but here he is, a demon possessed man. Once again, Acknowledging who this man is. It's actually God. Okay. And then another interesting statement here. He says then, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now this word adjure, it's interesting the Greek is horkizo. It really is to make or to swear. So it's like an oath. So I think really the translation could be, I swear to you by God or... In God's name don't torture me. Okay? Look at how where this is going. He recognizes God now he says don't torture me. But I thought then actually this is a very ironic statement, isn't it? So we just read about the demon who's possessing this poor guy who's cutting the man's body, right, and tormenting him and then the Jesus and then the demon wow. then comes to Jesus saying, "What a hypocrite." Don't torment me, right? So that's what is the demon's asking. So uh, clearly the demon is recognizing and openly acknowledging the absolute power of Jesus over him. This is why the demons obey every command of his without the slightest resistance. What has Jesus done up to this point? Really nothing. He showed up and the demon, now it's, it's all been the demon just doing everything, okay? Okay. So, uh, in God's name, don't torture me. And then we see in verse 8, which is a little bit out of order, for he was saying to him, come out of me, you unclean man. So, apparently, this is really happening before the demon says, don't torment me. So, Jesus says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit, and then there's this torment here. So, then we see uh, this demon begging, don't torment me. And we'll find out more what, he, what he's thinking about this torment here in a minute. Okay, then this, this kind of an interesting twist, right, that happens. Just out of the middle of nowhere, out of left field, we haven't seen this before. An interesting question, maybe a rhetorical question, but I don't think so. Some think it's rhetorical, but I don't think so. So in verse 9 there, so Jesus then asks him a question. A simple question, which we normally do. What is your name? Weird, right? What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Okay. Getting strange. What is your name? Why does Jesus ask that? Read a lot on this. Commentators speculate. I think this is probably right. Jesus wants his disciples and the men from the other boats To know who he's dealing with here, right? Because as we're going to see, this is a host of demons here. So Jesus is doing this intentionally. It's not like he doesn't know. There's an intentionality about this question. Of course, when Jesus asks, what is your name? The demon replies, legion. And this is a significant term here. A legion during this time... It was a a Roman legion or an army consisted of over 6,000 men. So there is a metaphorical use going on here with this response, this name, legion. So in a metaphorical use, the word is referring to this large number. So that's what this demon is saying. My name is legion because there's a whole host of demons with inside this man. And of course, this is why Jesus asked this. He knows this, but he's bringing it out. okay? And in the study note uh, says the same thing, uh, 5, 9 there. Jesus forces these demons to reveal, to reveal their name, Legion, a Roman military unit containing 4,000 to 6,000 soldiers. Roman legions were legendary for their ferocity and ability to impose their will upon others. A whole host of demons possessed this man. Interesting, huh? Any questions on that up to this point? So here we have a man. Yeah, Barry.
1: Uh, demonic possession is is in view here, I guess. And um, was it the man first speaking to Jesus? Or was it the demon when he said uh, in verse 7, you know, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?
0: Yeah, uh, all the commentaries are pretty clear on that 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 is the demon speaking.
1: only the demon speaks Only through this whole speaking. thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: And I think that's further support as we go through it. When we see the man at the end, when he is demon possessed, and then the man will start speaking to Jesus. Okay. okay. So you'll see the big difference too. So yeah, I think that there, there's no doubt that the, the demon within this man was speaking. It was okay. the demon. So yeah. when this
1: demon comes out, Is he visible or not? Is he a a spirit at that time? We'll see that because remember
0: they go into the pigs and then they go into the... And I'm going to address that. And then the question is when the pigs run in, right? The demons go into these pigs Mm -hmm. and then they go into the sea, what happens to them. But I will address that, yeah. Yeah, clearly. Mm -hmm. What
1: hits me with Barry's question is he says me, which is singular, and then Christ said, "What's your name?" And he has to reveal it's us.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. Maybe that's maybe another reason. He's being reason. deceitful, you know. Maybe he's being deceitful. Maybe that's why Christ <laughs> set that question too. That's a good point. None of the commentators caught on that. You're right. Remember, I said that that Christ knew and he wanted the people around to know, but maybe he was going back to the demon saying, "Huh, don't fool me. It's not a singler. I know who you are. So tell me your name." And that's why he says legion. Yeah, great point. Yeah, okay. So legion, we find out then this this man has uh, th- possibly thousands of demons, and then, and then what does Jesus? Um, then what happens in, in ten? And he, which is the demons, begged him, which is Jesus, earnestly not to send them out of the country. Okay, this is this is strange here. So doing a little bit more research on this, there's a parallel story in Luke, that Luke addresses to Luke adds a little bit more to the story that Mark doesn't, and we don't know why. But Luke actually says in Luke 8.31, and, and, and interesting, Luke also uses the plural. So here Mark is using he, back to your point here. Mark says in their response, and they begged Jesus not to commend them to depart into the abyss. Okay, so Mark adds a little bit. So what's going on here is Mark says out of the country. Luke says into the abyss. When you kind of look at this abyss language throughout the Bible here, what the demons are saying is, "Don't cast us back into hell." Okay, and that's if if you if you're interested, look, the study note at Luke eight thirty one says. As numerous and powerful as these these demons were, they knew Jesus had dominion over them and so begged him not to cast them into hell. Okay, now think about that. We have demons. Even the demons are afraid to go to hell. Wow. Hell must be a bad place, right? I mean, what can we think about that? Even the demons. The demons don't want to be in hell. Okay? And... They so much don't want to be thrown in hell that they would rather, then, as we see in verse 11, a much better alternative to being cast into hell is now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. We in Lemmon. So, interesting about pigs, we see here. Uh, the presence of pigs in this area confirms that it's in fact Gentile country because since uh, pigs were declared unclean in Leviticus 11.7 and Deuteronomy 14.8. So that's why we commentators further think that this is Gentile country because there's, there's all these pigs here and pigs weren't clean. Okay, so again, as opposed to being thrown um Into the abyss, we see in verse 12. Now this is interesting, I didn't catch this, but Paula, since you brought this up, look, they turn, uh, Mark now turns to plural, and they begged him, verse 12, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Why to the pigs? I mean, they didn't want to go to hell. But, you know, it's kind of, I think, proves the point. Pigs were unclean under Levitical law. These spirits are morally and spiritually unclean. So I guess maybe we conclude that they were attracted to, you know, birds of a feather flock together. This is their kind, right? They're clean, right? or they're unclean. All right, did you have a question? I for that. Okay. They got the pigs, and they cause the pigs to go and drown. But the spirits too alive, and go go somewhere else, and torments
1: some somebody else, right? Because well, there are spirits that do not, they don't die.
0: Exactly, so and, I'll, and I'll get to I that. I have a
1: problem with that.
0: Yeah, I did too when I got in this <laughs> and I started studying, but Dr. Veltz does a good job with it. He he explains, and I'll kind of talk about that in a minute, that oh, deep once deep. they get into the sea, they actually are in the abyss and then they're trapped oh, they, in the sea. They, so
1: they go on their own. They just don't want to be cast down before their time. Yeah,
0: but the, so the, when Jesus <laughs> had planned this out, you know, so that when they get, he knew that they were going to go, and then once the, the pigs die in in the Sea of Galilee there, I think it's a Sea galley, but in any event, that's kind of the representation of the abyss. And the commentators will conclude oh, okay. that then those demons were in hell at that point.
1: So they but, just wanted to get there on their own?
0: I don't know. <laughs> or they didn't think the pigs were going to run away. Maybe they get in the pigs and then the pigs go somewhere else and then they can jump on somebody else. Oh, I, I know, right. I know. What do the pigs do? But I think it's very interesting. Yeah. So anyways, I don't think the demons actually knew. I think Jesus knew what would happen, but they didn't. So again, let's go into the pigs. Uh, they're unclean, we're unclean. Uh, but then that's better than going to the abyss. Better to be a filthy pig than to go to hell. All right, Paula? Yeah? Now, maybe this is just the obvious, but mm-hmm. I like
1: finally in my brain. These are fallen angels, right?
0: Angels? Yeah. I think they are fallen. Oh, the mic, yeah. Okay. They are fallen angels. I mean, I don't. Pastor, These are fallen angels, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Pastor's really an expert on that, but I think that all the demons were, in fact, uh, fallen angels. Um, I, yeah. Pastor, do you have any reason to disagree with that? I mean, were the demons fallen angels, or do you know? I just don't know. That's out of my expertise. I think it's just a okay. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so put a little asterisk by what the vicar says. Pastor might, he of course knows a lot about it, but yeah. Uh, fallen angel, but clearly uh, of the of of the devil, right? Of the devils. So don't, yeah. So maybe pastor can do a class on that sometime.
1: There's a phrase, the devil and his angels, right? Is that a, is that a phrase in my brain? The devil so and his angels.
0: Mm. I can't pick that up. I think we consume. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good questions. We'll save that for Pastor O. He's really good on all that stuff. That's another good Bible topic for him then. So, so let's for for, for today, Paul, I appreciate that, but let's put a little asterisk by it. Let's just say that these are uh the demons and and obviously they were in existence here because Jesus is uh, dealing with them face to face, right? Good question. All right. So then what does Jesus say? The, the, interesting here again, showing what the, the demons here, the demons are, they have to ask his permission again. So look at, look at all this. The demon comes, prostrates, begs, calls him God. And now they're asking for his permission. Of course, they're doing that. We know why, because they know he's God, right? And what does Jesus do? So he did give them permission. In verse 13, Jesus gives them permission. And then what happens? And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, this is important here, keep keep this number in your head, numbering about 2,000, Okay, so this is where the legion comes from, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So, I think this is kind of a proof Proof here that when this happens, there was an exorcism, right? These demons did, in fact, leave this man. Go on to the pig. Proof of that, right? Uh, did Jesus, you know, I think some commentators argue that Jesus really outwitted the spirits here. He knew exactly what's happened. Uh, they wished to remain in the area. Jesus gave them permission to go on the pigs because he knew what was going to happen. They, Jesus knew that the spirits would enter into the pigs and that this would upset the pigs so much that, uh, that they, they would, it would kind of backfire, um, run in so that this now host dies. And now, as you said, these spirits lose their bodies completely. But then... Great question, which I had the question on, did some research on it. So what happens to these unclean spirits now? Belts, I think, does a good job on it. I mean, again, this is speculation, but I, this Beltz says, Dr. Veltz, I told you guys, this is his great commentary on Mark. was very good. Um, he taught it, I told you before, at St. Louis. But he was also the author of our Greek, elementary Greek books that I used when I learned Greek, and then now he lives in Fort Wayne. He comes to seminary sometimes. I've seen him give a lot of presentations. So Dr. Veltz, I trust. I mean, this is what his opinion is. I'm going to defer to him. In all probability, the spirits no longer uh, were able to inhabit human beings. So then the spirits are returned to the sea and then a place where they would stay. So, again, don't know if that's for sure, but it makes sense, right? It's a good question. So, okay, so that kind of concludes then what happens here. So we've had had this take place now. So now we kind of shift gears on what happens. This is the aftermath of this now. Uh, Verse 14, the herdsmen, okay, so these are the people, eyewitnesses there that were with these 2,000-so pigs, see this. And they go and was to say the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. Interesting thought on this. I mean, why did they tell it? I uh, one commentator commentator says, well, he probably went to tell everybody what happened so that they wouldn't get. Blame for this, and that the owners would know that 2,000, think about it, 2,000 pigs, that's a huge, could be a huge economic loss, right? So they didn't want to be blamed for the loss of the pigs. So they go and immediately tell, you know, what happens here. A lot of money could be lost. So this happens then, this word goes out, and people then, what, in verse 14, and people come to see what it was that happened. So the people of the city came to this place to see. We're not sure what city they were in. Mark doesn't tell us that. Luke doesn't say. But the people in the city come out here to see this. When I first thought of this, was like what happens on the highway when you have a wreck happen? This is it backs up. But what do the other people do? This is the first uh, rubberneckers in the Bible, right? <laughs> It's a rubberneck. They want to come out and see this. Oh my gosh, right? So all these these Gentiles are not Jewish people, remember. Probably haven't heard much of Jesus to this point, but this goes on. They come out. All these rubberneckers come out to see what took place. Okay, and then in verse 15 15 here, and they came to see Jesus and saw, look at this, the demon-possessed Man, now remember Mark. Before as we talked about earlier, he's always referred to these people with people or with unclean spirits. So now Mark is actually coming out and calling them demon possessed, and actually uses a different Greek word here. It's damionizomenon, It's hard to pronounce, as, a, as opposed to the unclean spirits, which is pneumatic akartharto. So he does use a different word now, and actually calls it the demon possess. First times Mark's actually said it as opposed to unclean spirit. Okay, so we see this. So, And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Clothed, Mark, oh yeah, you have a question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right there. mm
1: mm-hmm. Vicar that says they came to Jesus, that doesn't say they came to see Jesus. So I'm interpreting is, my interpretation is, they came to see the demon-possessed man and not Jesus. Their focus was on the demon-possessed man and not, not
0: Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. So in verse 14, so it says, and the people came to see what it was that happened so you know I think um, I don't know I don't know what they were who they were coming I think you know they heard about all these pigs and right And then it says and they came to Jesus I guess I don't know if it was intentionally or what but yeah that's a good point so
1: I don't think they were so much there for Jesus no, as oh, to yeah. see the demon possessed
0: actually yeah and, and it's going to be further proof as we go along you see then what they do you know that's a great point that's exactly right so they they, they come again they're rubberneckers <laughs> right yeah you may realize if, uh, do, would they
1: float right away or
0: would they sink the pigs 2,000 pigs in the water mm, yeah that's a good it could be it could be all floating out there maybe that's yeah, Mark doesn't give us that detail but that possibly but the point is, when they come out, they knew that over 2,000 pigs were there, and now they're all gone, right? So we see Jesus. Uh, then then this man here, what do they see? So they come to Jesus. They talked about the demon-possessed man. And then this demon-possessed man, what was he doing? He was sitting there clothed, number one. So I think that kind of tells you that before maybe the man must have lived in the grave area and run around naked. I don't know, Mark intentionally says he was clothed, so I guess we have to infer maybe he was naked. So now they see this naked, crazy guy. I don't know if they've seen him before. Clothed, <laughs> sitting there. And then the next thing is interesting. And the Mark says, and in his right mind, the Greek on this, sophreno, sophreno, uh, neo. Is of sound mind, really, is the proper translation. So then they, he's, he's normal. You see him sitting there clothed and of sound mind. Normal. Okay? And then when they see him, and they see him clothed and sitting there, what happens? They were afraid. They are afraid. Now how do we interpret how do we interpret this? Um, They could be afraid of fear Maybe as an awe type but, but I really don't think so Because as we'll see About their reaction You know They, they asked Jesus to leave And I'll cover that I think their fear Actually is negative It's actual Actual fear A negative fear of this So then because of this As we see here This story Which is just amazing What happens Then we get here And all of a sudden The people come out And then there's a, the story takes a stark, negative turn at this point. Why? I mean, no, but it's very interesting. We'll see. Just negativity now. Sixteen. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. So what does this mean? Is is this, so? The, in addition to the herdsmen going in. In telling these people, now the rubberneckers come out, right? And now they've got more people on the scene, more eyewitnesses, including the disciples. They get another report, okay, not from the herdsmen, but now more eyewitnesses. These eyewitnesses tell them what happened. More detailed report. So again, it's the words from the disciples and who other men who were there. So, the point I think here is to show that how the people of the city were really, really fully informed by true eyewitnesses what happened. Okay? And again, negative. Continue negative turn, chapter, uh, verse 17. And what happened? They, the, the city folks that come in now, the rubberneckers, as I call them, what do they do? They begin to beg Jesus, begging like the. Uh, the demons, right, begging Jesus what to depart from their region. No acclaim here for Jesus. That's strange. Why? Again, as I talked about before, I don't know. This is pure speculation. Don't. I'm just saying. Well, I'm just trying to think through this. Why? Possibly, you know, there's two thousand pigs that just got destroyed. A huge economic loss. Were they? Were they upset? Did they respond the same way that the scribes did, which we talked about earlier when Jesus had, had uh, uh, dealt with the unclean spirit? And then the scribes come in. Remember, we talked about the scribes first saying that Jesus was in league with Beelzebub. Is that the reaction they're having? Are they do they think that he was in league with the devil? I mean, we really don't know. So, but I mean, the truth is, is as with. In in the Jewish areas where Jesus has been before in his ministry, now he goes into the Gentile resistance. Also, is is against him in the Gentile country, same as in Israel, right? Okay. Verse eighteen. Then Jesus. Now, this is this is kind of cool. As he was getting into the boat the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. As he was getting to the boat, recall, we've seen this before. Uh, Jesus has had a boat ready, right? But it's interesting here. All, this may, Amazing things happen. People from the city come out. Jesus was able to dialogue with the demon. Say, hey, tell, tell me your name. People come out. What well, they do hear from eyewitnesses, everything. They sit, beg him to get out. And I think it's kind of interesting. Jesus doesn't, Respond back. He doesn't thrust himself onto anyone. He gets in, he gets in the boat to leave. Um, interesting. Hmm? But then the man here begs to be with Jesus. He, you know, we can see he's clinging to his mighty deliverer. He knows what happened. I think hopefully, we we would, I would think about that. It was me. I would want to do the same thing, right? Take me with you. But in response, this is very interesting, in verse 19 here, you see this, and he did not permit him. Okay, so Jesus says, no, can't go with me. But he says to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has already had mercy on you. But why does Jesus refuse this man's request? Uh, Remember in verse 18, I just read that, he says, uh, the, the demon former demon possessed man says, "I want to go with you." That he, Mark says that he might be with him. So this is the question, right? To the man asked Jesus, Jesus says no. So I think it's interesting when when you look at this, we've seen this same phrase before. It's the same in the Greek here. It's the same as in uh, chapter three, verse fourteen. It's actually describing why Jesus established the twelve as his apostles, quote, so they might be with him. So those who to be with Jesus are the twelve. Okay. Again, the twelves corresponding to the, uh, the Israel's tribes, Jacob's sons. I thought that's an interesting wordplay here. So to be with him, no, the tw- the twelve are. That the apostles are to be with him. And that's why then he tells the guy go home. Go to your house and announce the Lord's deeds and mercy. But isn't this interesting that prior we've seen when Jesus has done this stuff he's always told people people to don't tell anybody, okay? But remember this is interesting. So this is the first time he finally says gives him specific instruction. Go and tell everybody. So we have a, now he's in Gentile country. country. So this is in stark contrast to what Jesus had, had said in Israel's. Okay. Um, if you have your, again, your, your Lutheran study Bible, if you turn to page 1653, if not, I'll read it to you. So at the beginning of Mark here up in the commentary, there's, there's kind of some ideas. One of us is the secrecy narrative. Okay. Then an ed- editor writes, Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus discourages people and unclean spirits from speaking about him and his kingdom. Okay? But uh, he's doing this because Jesus exercised his authority to guide the spread of his popularity, which had brought him into conflict with political and religious authorities. Okay? Okay? So recall, that's within the Jewish areas of Israel. But then it says here, outside the jurisdiction of Jesus' main opponents, he actually encourages a man to proclaim his miracles. And that's here in 5, 19, 20. So you see something different here. So there is need here to spread the message. There is to these heathens, the Gentiles. So here, I guess there's no need for Jesus to hide his identity because there is no official opposition to him here in this area from, you know, like the scribes and the Pharisees. So neither is there any chance of an overwhelming press of the crowd. So that's what some commentators think. So in any event, it is different, right? Stark difference. We don't have this secrecy narrative going on. In fact, Jesus is commanding him to go, go and tell everybody What? Has happened Go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And he says this: and how he has had mercy on you. It's kind of interesting. We'll see this kind of throughout Mark's gospel. We'll read about it those, uh, throughout Mark's gospel, we see those who are in bad shape, really, namely, those who confess their sinners. they do receive Jesus' attention. Not those who consider themselves strong, namely those who consider themselves righteous like the Pharisees and the scribes did, right? So we'll see this more mercy theme uh, to people who we don't normally think, or if in this time, were receiving mercy because they certainly weren't being treated that way from the scribes and the Pharisees. So a, a theme that we'll continue to see. He had mercy on him. Any questions up to this point? Almost done here. So then, the man does listen to Jesus. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis uh, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled at it. Okay. The Decapolis is this region a little bit below I guess it's kind of this whole area. I see it on this map here. And it is made up of ten cities southeast of the lake. So he goes in this area. And uh, Jesus now has a witness, the former demon-possessed man, for the people in the Decapolis area to talk about. Are
1: these Greek cities?
0: Are they Greek cities? Probably, I think probably so. I think that is right. I think that is 10 Greek cities. Yeah, yep. And then I'm thinking
1: of the Greeks coming to Christ the last
0: week in Holy Week.
1: They want
0: to talk Could be similar area, yeah. Good point, yeah. All right. Okay, so he does do this. So uh, just to kind of wrap it up, I think the study note does a good job of it, five. Uh, talking about this whole story. So the uh, editors write, Despite Jesus' magnificent work of deliverance, the reaction to him is mixed. The man eagerly wishes to follow Jesus and then enthusiastically furthers his cause while the town people ask Jesus to go away. The Lord still receives the same kind of mixed reaction today, right? Even among those who follow him, especially when doing so requires a change from established ways but what remarkable kindness Jesus shows. He rescues people from the devil's power and even the grave itself and then allows them to be witnesses to the wonders of his grace. Mm, pretty good. Pretty good conclusion. Barry, did you have a question? Mm-hmm. I was
1: uh, It's not a question, it's just a comment. Oh, oh good. Uh, yes, please. This uh, chronology of demons, and you know, I, I understand them to be fallen angels, and uh, a third of them, a third of all the angels, w- went with Satan, I think. But... In, in Revelation 20, verse 1, it talks about the key uh, to the abyss, uh, being, uh, you know, an angel had that, and they were secured in the abyss at, I think it's at the timing of the cross, along with Satan, they were bound, which explains, you know, the binding of Satan, and uh, you know, we, we, we may not think Satan is bound now, but it he is bound but I guess they leak out of the abyss everyone you know this is what I'm thinking (laughs) and then they go back in you know so I mean that's the visual I get yeah and and, uh, uh, unfortunately I'm not I'm not
0: well versed enough in angelology I guess I don't know if that's oh good I knew Pastor Wood because he's the expert on this
2: Thanks. So the general consensus is that the abyss is within what we would, what we would refer to as hell, just not to be confused with the lake of fire at the end of time. So if you think of the cosmology being the earth, and then you have the heavens above, and then you have hell underneath. Okay, then hell has a compartment within it called the abyss. And that's like jail. So hell itself is fine. It's the realm of Satan and his friends, and they're able to come up out of hell and cause trouble and everything else. Satan being bound probably isn't as much geographical as he's just not given to deceive the nations with the same ease with which he previously could. So it's more of like a binding of his abilities. But there are angels you find bound in hell, and that's in this specific place um, the abyss or uh, prison proper, that kind of thing. And so, obviously, these demons don't want to go to that place and be locked up. That's the idea there. So if that, so, then you've got this angel now. The identity of the angel in Revelation is up for grabs. Whether you think it's another name for Satan or whether you think it's one under Satan's control, this uh, figure that's named Abaddon, Apollyon, And then that's sort of the lord of the, or the main angel, the main bad guy in the abyss. And then in the abyss, you have all the demonic figures of the locusts with, uh, you know, they've got locust characteristics and lion characteristics and long hair like a woman characteristics. So they all get released by the angel who has the key to the abyss in revelation. And that marks the last time. So they're released out onto the earth and Satan is unbound. And you sort of get the full weight of the ugliness of the evil angels before then Christ and his saints return in glory. And then they push all these demonic hordes out of the earth. And and that means ultimately into the lake of fire. Just is the final destination. So if that kind of helps you give a little of the idea of the... Yeah,
1: yeah so in I a text put- like
2: this, there's, I mean, it's not particularly clear what's going on in many ways, but there are these themes that we're likely to miss, and one of those is the connection between the water and this abyss. So that's one way of thinking of it. What you really have here is like... So... Christ ends up taking the demon possessed man and casting him out, and there's this reversal of these themes. Like, so he's dwelling in a in the tombs amongst the unclean. He's in the realm of the dead. He's naked. He's powerful. He breaks chains. Like nothing can subdue him. All this other, and then Christ comes and removes these unclean spirits and thus the man is clothed, and you can kind of see the baptismal language, clothed and in his right mind and all of this other stuff, and the demons are ultimately disposed of via the water. So you've got this exorcism and water, which is informative to baptism. So it's, it's one of the reasons why the church will see an exorcism, that we're under the control of Satan until we're baptized. Luther will have in his right an exorcism, so i adjure you o unclean spirit depart from you know this one etc cetera, etc cetera. make room for the holy spirit so there's an exorcism and a washing and that seems to be at play here when you remember i mean jesus is doing these events and then you remember mark is writing them down luke are they're writing these authors are writing these things down decades later and reflecting so there's these baptismal themes that are within this as well as some of the cosmological themes. So does that help to somewhat clarify and give some information without going too in-depth?
0: Pastor, I think you might have missed the comment. I said that Dr. Veltz said is when, when the pigs go into the lake... And, and, then, and then the spirits come out into the lake that is kind of being trapped in the abyss at that point. I mean, would you kind of agree to that? I
2: mean, I, mean, I don't know. There's, I, I'm just kind of agnostic toward it, toward okay. that particular point because there's, there's two different ways you can go with that. You can go with the, the idea that the sea is the domain of chaos and the demonic forces. Mm-hmm. That's why there's no sea in Revelation in the new heavens and the new earth. It's more like that than no opportunity to go snorkeling ever again. Yeah. Uh, so that's more what's being communicated. So then it's so one plausible interpretation. And I, again, I just don't really know, and I don't know if you can know. That's my position. But one okay. plausible interpretation is that they want to go into the pigs. They go into the pigs, and they just as they were trying to destroy the man, mm-hmm. they do in fact destroy the pigs, mm-hmm. and they sort of return to this. Abyss that is, you know, this watery place um, of chaos and evil. That's one read. Okay. The other read is that they don't want to go there, and uh, this abyss. The sometimes in intertestamental literature, the abyss in Revelation, the bottomless pit, the prison part of hell, is made synonymous with the water. So mm. there, it's also. Possible to read this that Jesus does send them into the abyss, and he uses the pigs as a vehicle to do yeah. this. So it's kind of like another, like one of the primary questions here is who's driving the pigs, <laughs> 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 right? And that, and that's up for debate. That's up for grabs. You can kind of discover at least two major ways of reading that, and it's hard to know which is right. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Boot Thank for you thought. for
0: providing that very interesting stuff. Right. Does anybody have any follow up questions on that? Or? I just want to say, is it like
1: Pharaoh and his soldiers being drowned? Yeah, yeah I mean, maybe. maybe oh. Yeah, Pharaoh and his hosts
2: so drowned in the sea, the demons and the babes drowned in the sea. Yeah, Stop. So. Mm-hmm. It is a good
0: connection. Yeah. That's great. Any other thoughts or anything? Uh, yeah. Well, then, I think that's probably a good uh, place to stop because next week we'll get into Jairus. Uh, Jesus heals a woman and Jairus' his daughter. It's kind of a long... Uh, I would guess I was too optimistic today, but we'll get through that, and then maybe we can get into Jesus being rejected at Nazareth uh, next week. So thank you all very much, and have a great week. The Lord be with you. Thank you.